Genesis chapter 8. The darkest day in history had been accomplished. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who had come and lived a sinless life, He had done nothing but good all of His 33 years here on the earth. He had shown Himself both by message and by life, and by signs and wonders to be the chosen Messiah, the anointed one sent from God to give His people their kingdom and be their king. But He came into His own and His own received Him not. They took Him and with, with evil hands crucified the Lord of glory. They took Him and as we said last week, they beat Him. They, they ripped almost all of the skin from His body. They ripped the cheeks from His face. They pounded a crown of thorns into His head. They drove spikes through his hands and feet and then pierced his side ultimately on the cross. But he had died before he, they had pierced his side. He had yielded up the ghost. He had given himself for you and for me. And again, the thing that we must remember is they could have, Jesus could not have been crucified if he had not come to be crucified. Jesus could not have died unless he had chosen to die. He said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down willingly. And the Bible over and over and over again says, He gave Himself. He gave Himself. He gave Himself. Why did He give Himself? For you and for me. But that day, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and the, the sun went black and it was dark and the veil in the temple was rent in two. And why was that veil there? That veil was to protect the people from the glory of God. It wasn't to protect the temple. It wasn't to protect God because when the high priest would go in once a year behind the veil with a rope tied to his ankle and bells on his robe so if he stopped moving, then he had unforgiven sin and he would be killed. They could just pull him out because if they went in after him, they would die. The veil was there to protect the people from God's glory and righteousness and holiness. Jesus Christ died. He said, it is finished, and He gave up the ghost. And what happened? The veil was rent from top to bottom. God Himself took that veil and He ripped it apart and said, you can now come to Me because the price has been paid. That's what happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross. The sin, the handwriting of ordinances that were written against us have been blotted out, nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. When He died on the cross, it was to pay for our sin and we can now have access. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find help in time of need, mercy and help in time of need. We have access to the throne of God now. Jesus Christ died on the cross. And you know, in many places around the world, if you walked into that building, you would see a, a, a cross with a, a frail man hanging on that cross. Can I tell you something? That's not the Jesus we worship. Because He didn't stay on the cross. He was put in the tomb. And after three days, when it seemed like all was darkness in the world, on a Sunday morning, that stone was rolled away. And the King of glory stepped out of that tomb, conquering death and sin forever. 
That's the Savior that came out of the cross. That's what today is about. It was a new day. It was a new dawn. It was a new hope. The possibility of redemption was now in effect for every person that would ever be born. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 2, And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. What is that? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, when He rose from the dead, now every man, every woman, every child has been rendered savable. He paid your price. He paid your price. That day that Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb, that's the day of new beginnings. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I can now look ahead. I don't have to look back. I can look up. I don't have to look down. And I can have that Savior in my life, in my heart. That's what the resurrection does for us. Wouldn't you think that the Bible would tell us some things about that? Something that's interesting is for us, for the Western mind, prophecy is prediction. We think of a prophesied event, that event happening, that's prophecy for us. We think of what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We, we know that's going to happen. Jesus Christ is coming back. And then what's going to happen is seven years of tribulation and turmoil on this earth. Halfway through those seven years, three and a half years into it, the Antichrist, the man of sin, is going to reveal Himself. And then comes the great tribulation. Jesus says tribulation as has, such as has never been on the earth or ever shall be after for three and a half years. And what is Jesus doing? He's trying to call His people back to Himself. Judging sin. Calling His people back to Himself. And then... He returns. He sets His feet on the earth. He establishes His kingdom. He rules and reigns for a thousand years. Satan is bound. The king is reigning in righteousness. The lion lies down with the lamb. They beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And they they learn war no more. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is loosed. And he comes and there are people that have come into the millennium through the tribulation. They're part of the, the nations that God allows to come in. And some of them never do accept Jesus Christ as their Lord. So after the thousand years are up, Satan is loosed. And he gathers these people up. And they come to make war against the Lamb. And they're wiped out. Then comes the great white throne judgment. And anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life, if you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you're at that great white throne judgment. There's only one verdict. And it is the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone for all eternity. Then comes a new heaven and a new earth. And we enter into eternity with our precious Savior, our wonderful God, in the presence of the Holy Spirit forever. What is that? That's prophecy. That's prediction. The Bible says that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus said, uh, study the prophets in them. They testify, he says, uh, you, you learn the prophets, for they testify of me, Jesus said. Well, we understand that. 
But we have to also understand that for the Jewish mind, for the Eastern mind, prophecy is pattern. Prophecy is pattern. Do you remember when Jesus Christ went and cleansed the temple? He walks into the temple, thousands of people there on the Passover, thousands of people there. Jesus walks in, makes a whip, turns over the tables, takes a whip and drives thousands of people out of the temple. Turns over the money changers, drives the animals out, and he says, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And the Jews said, what sign showest thou us, seeing that thou doest these things? That's one of the weirdest questions I've ever heard in my life. Can you imagine? We're in here and all of a sudden, you know, all kinds of false doctrine happening and Brother Farrier comes in. He's a big guy and he makes a whip and he starts driving everybody out, turning the chairs over, turns the pulpit over. And I say, Brother Farrier, what sign are you trying to show us by doing this? How many of you think that would be a weird response? See, that is the concept. Jesus said the Jews require a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. For the Jewish mind, prophecy in the Bible is pattern. I want to show you a couple of things. Look at Genesis chapter 8. The flood has just taken place, and now it's over. So Genesis chapter 8, and look at verse 4. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights. Uh, And every living substance... Sorry, let's go to to chapter 8 and verse 4. I was in chapter 7. It's a great passage. It's just not what we're studying this morning. (laughs) Chapter 8, verse 4. And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. Now, isn't it interesting that God gives us the month and the day that the flood was over? Now, there's something that we need to understand. The, the whole Bible is written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,600 years. But it's a unified whole. No contradictions, perfect continuity all through the Scriptures. The other thing that we need to understand, the Bible says in John chapter 21, that if all the works that Jesus did were written, then I suppose then the books of the world couldn't contain them. And that's true because He's eternal. He's the preexistent one. And so for all, all eternity, if you considered all of His works, there's no way that they could all be written. Is that right? And so that means, and we call it the law of measured words, that God chose a limited number of words to communicate Himself to us. That means there are no superfluous words. They're all there on purpose. And if we take all of those words seriously, then we can learn some things that maybe others miss. Why is this important? Why is this date, this seventh, the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat? The seventh month, the 17th day. Well, we need to understand that the Jews have two calendars. They have a civil calendar and they have a religious calendar. For their civil calendar, the first, day, the first month of the year is Tishri. How many of you have heard of Rosh Hashanah? Rosh Hashanah. That's the Jewish New Year. It's in the fall. The Rosh Hashanah. That's, that's the, the first day of their year. Well, God changed that. Go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 2. Look at verse 1 for the context. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, 
This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So on their civil calendar, the first month is Tishri. But now for their religious calendar, the first month will be Nisan. The first month will be Nisan. Now, fast forward. Fast forward 4,000 years. Jesus Christ comes and the day that he entered into the temple was Passover. He came into the city on another Passover and he was crucified. He was crucified on Passover. The date of Passover is the 14th of Nisan. Okay? So now Nisan is now, because of the Passover, Nisan is the first month of the Jewish calendar. Now some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, when will he stop with this? There's a, listen, this is, I want you to see something that God has put in the text for us. So the first month on the Jewish calendar or on their civil calendar is Tishri. The first month on their religious calendar is Nisan. When God is giving the account in Genesis of the seventh month, the seventh month on the civil calendar is Nisan. The seventh month on the civil, civil calendar is Nisan. The first month on the religious calendar is Nisan. You see? See what's happening? Now, Jesus Christ was crucified on Passover. Passover is always the 14th of Nisan. How long was Jesus Christ in the grave? Three days. 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th. He rose from the dead on the 17th of Nisan. The ark, God had judged the world. He had brought His people who believed in Him into the ark. The ark bore the brunt of the judgment of God and the people of God were safe inside the ark. The judgment was over. The ark is sitting on Mount Ararat. The flood is over. It's a new day of possibility. It's a new day of hope. It's a new day of accessibility to God and a new life. And you know what day it was? The 17th of Nisan. Jesus Christ rose from the dead the same day that the ark of deliverance landed and the, the punishment was over. Here's the thing about that. How many of you think that's just a coincidence? There's no possible way it's a coincidence. God put those things all through the Scriptures. He's given a, he gave the Jews signs and prophecies and patterns all through the Bible about what was going to happen to the Messiah. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll show you something. Let's try and track down, using the words of Scripture... Some more of these signs. So, if we look at what the gospel is, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, 
by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. It is possible to believe in vain. You need to make sure that you're actually believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That, why, why did Jesus die? Let's all say that out loud. Why did Jesus die? For our sins. He didn't die to win a political battle. He died for our sins. That He died, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again when? The third day according to the Scriptures. The third day according to the Scriptures. Let's try to understand if there's any significance to this third day. Go to John chapter 2. Now get your Bibles. We're going to roll through the Scriptures quickly. John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the, in the uh, seat in front of you. John chapter 2. And look at verse 18. Jesus Christ speaking to uh, the, the Pharisees. Remember what happened. He has just cleansed the temple. I told the story a little while ago. Verse 18, Then the Jews said unto him, what sign showest thou us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building. Forty and six years was this temple in building. And wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said unto them, uh, that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. So Jesus had already told them from the scriptures that he was going to rise, he was going to be killed and rise from the dead three days later. I want you to notice that every time you find either the third day or three days in your Bible, there's, a, there's an arrow pointing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. Look for it. Look for it. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Look at verse 38 for the context. Then certain of the scribes... This is Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees, and again, if you're not familiar with who the scribes and Pharisees are, uh, they wouldn't have liked each other a whole lot. All right, so they come together against Jesus. Then certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. I want you to think about something. Y'all look up here at me for a minute. If you're looking for a sign from God, God, give me a sign that you're real. Give me a sign that you're real. What did Jesus Christ just say about you? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. What did Jesus Christ give us? He gave us the scriptures. He gave us himself. I feel like I'm preaching in the round today. <laughs> he, gave us, he gave us everything that we need, didn't he? So he says this. He answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given but the sign of the prophet Jonas, Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly... Now, how many of you have ever heard that that didn't really happen? Heard somebody tell you that didn't really happen? Jesus said it happened. 
I'll take Jesus' word for it. All right. Why? That was a sign. What was it a sign of? For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater is Jonas than Jonas is here. So here, Jonah is in the whale's belly for three days and three nights. He gets spit out onto the shore and he walks up and starts preaching. Now, I want you to picture this. His skin is all yellow because of the the juices inside that whale's belly. He's got a piece of seaweed hanging right here. And he walks in out of a... He's just been... this, This whale has just belched him out on the shore. And he gets up and says, repent. Do you know what the people of Nineveh did? They repented. Now, we have to remember how bad this was. The reason that Jonah didn't want to go and preach to Nineveh, Nineveh, the Ninevites are the ones who invented crucifixion. They're the ones that would peel the skin off of the Jewish people. Jonah hated them. And they hated God's people. Isn't it amazing how the grace of God can overcome racial hatred? Can you imagine if, you know, whoever we are at war with, they go to Afghanistan and the Taliban, can you imagine if, they, if we actually took them the Lord and they received the Lord? Wouldn't that be better than armies? You know, I heard someone say years ago, we didn't send our missionaries, so we have to send our, our armies, our soldiers. It's, something, it's really something to think about. So Jonah, he preaches to, uh, to the Ninevites, the Assyrians, and, and, and they get saved. And what does Jesus say? said, that generation is going to rise up in testimony against you. They listened to Jonah. One greater than Jonah is here. Who's he talking about? Himself. And as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus Christ is in the ground, dead. He rises from the dead, and then he preaches to them for 40 days. Some accepted, but most didn't. Most didn't. But those three days, what was that a sign of? The sign of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know because Jesus said that it was. Go to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. Now, here's what's happened. The children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unfaithfulness. Well, now Moses has died. Moses was not allowed to go into the land. Why wasn't Moses allowed to go into the land? After all he had done, 40 40 years on the backside of the desert preparing, 40 years leading these people through the desert, and now he's not going to be able to go into the promised land. Why? Because he struck the stone. You see, God told him to strike the stone and have water come out of it once. He told him to speak to the stone the second time, and he, he didn't. He struck the stone in anger. Because of that, God wouldn't let him go into the promised land. Why? Because for the Jew, prophecy is pattern. The Bible says that Jesus is that stone, and Jesus will only be smitten once. 
Jesus will only die once. So by corrupting that sign, that corrupted the message that God was giving the people. And so Moses was not allowed to go into the land. But the mercy of God, God let him come into the land when? The Mount of Transfiguration. How about that? He got to stand on the mount with Jesus Christ in the promised land. But look at what happens here. Joshua is now going to lead the people over, but they're going to have to cross the Jordan River and enter into the land that's full of giants and all kinds of things. Then Joshua commanded, we're in verse 10, Joshua 1, verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the host, command the people, saying, prepare you victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan and go in to possess the, the land which the Lord your God hath given you to possess it. Remember what happened? God actually parts the river. They walk across, and they go in and possess the land. But they had to do that by faith. They had to do it by faith. There's no way that their army was strong enough to defeat the people in the land. Only God could do it. By crossing that river, many of them believed that they were going to die. But by faith, they followed Joshua. They went in, pointing to that crossing of the river into the promised land. How are we going to cross the river? into eternity, only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, go to Esther. Esther chapter 4. So if you find Psalms, go backwards about two books, as Dalton Robertson would say, backwards. Esther chapter 4. Remember what's happened. Esther is the Jewish bride of a, a Gentile king. And the king um, has a servant named Haman. Haman hates another one of the king's servants named Mordecai. And because Mordecai won't stand up when Haman's procession goes by, Mordecai wa or Haman wants to kill all of the Jews. And he, he tricks the king into saying, I'll kill all the Jews. The only problem is the king's wife is a Jew. So Mordecai comes to Esther and he asked her to go in and speak unto the king. So look at chapter um, 4 and look with me at verse uh, 14. Okay, I need to give you a little bit more background here. The king has to invite you into his, court, into his court. If you just show up into his court and he doesn't point his scepter at, at you, then you're dead. That's it. And so now Mordecai has asked Esther to go in and speak to the king, but she hasn't been invited into the court. And so look at what it says in verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. And that's Mordecai's faith, isn't it? God's going to deliver the Jews. But he says this, But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth, whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So what's going on? She says, okay, I'm going to go in. But let's wait three days. Let's pray three days. What is she saying here? I'm willing to die. I'll do it. I'm willing to die. 
Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand so Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. What happened? You have death. The scepter comes forward from the king. You have resurrection. All through. Three days. Three days. Look at Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Look at verse 1. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Can you imagine if God asked you to do that? Wow. And this is the child of promise, right? Isaac, the child of promise. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. Then, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And you know the story. He gets up there and I can't imagine what's going through Abraham's mind. I think Abraham believed that God was going to raise him from the dead. But he took and was about to plunge the knife into his son. And remember, his son was probably about 30 years old when this happened. He's a grown man. He's about to plunge the knife into his son's breast. And the angel of the Lord stopped him and there was a, there was a ram in a thicket. And he was able to sacrifice that. And what ha when did this happen? Three days after God had told Abraham, and Abraham agreed to it. Three days later, his son, which would be dead, was alive. Now, do you all hear, want to hear something really cool about this story that you've probably not heard? Look at verse, um, verse 15. And so this is after, and God has spoken to him. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself I have sworn, and he's going to, to bless him. Look at verse 19. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now, let me ask you a question. Who's missing right there? Isaac. Isn't that interesting? Isaac did come down off the mountain, and we know that. But he's not mentioned. After his death, 
symbolically on the mountain, he's not mentioned. Do you know the next time that you see him mentioned in Scripture? At, his mar- at the marriage to his bride. What happened after Jesus Christ died? On the mountain. He was with us for a little while, then he ascended to heaven. When will we see him again? At the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, these pictures are all through the Scriptures, all over it, all over the Bible. You can find it everywhere. There are 72 more times in the Old Testament where the third day is a reference to death and resurrection, death and life. 72 more times. Why is it there? Because God loves His people so much, He wants them to believe that He's the Messiah, the Son of God, and that His death on the cross wasn't a tragedy. It was an accomplishment. So here's my question to do to you. Did Jesus Christ die for you? Have you accepted His substitutionary sacrifice? Have you applied that to your life? Because He died, we can live, but not everybody's going to live. Only those who look to Him. Only those who look to Him for salvation. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you saved? How many of you have heard of Easter? Any of you? You've heard of Easter? Yeah. I think just about everybody in America knows that Easter is the celebration of the resurrection of Christ. But I wonder how many of those people understand that He died for them and that He rose from the dead to be their personal Savior. You see, God doesn't save nations. God saves individuals. Are you saved? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? Look at all the information God gave you. Look look at how much, what He worked through in history to point people to the cross and to point people to the empty tomb three days later. Why did He do that? Because He loves you so much. You know, I think one of the big problems we have is people, they see God as either a Mr. Rogers type character who would never judge or as an ogre who is only evil. Neither of those are the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is holy and righteous and just, and He is the righteous judge. But He is also all loving and all merciful and all kind. His justice requires Him to punish sin. His mercy found a solution, and His name is Jesus. That's why He died on the cross. But He didn't stay there. He rose from the dead to give us a new beginning. Let's bow our heads.